0: To the Beef Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension beef educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the Beef Watch newsletter titled TDN Translation, Understanding Energy of Forages. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Hannah Smith, who's a Nebraska Extension beef systems educator. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Aaron.
0: Well, Hannah, as we record this podcast, we're sitting in a time of year where we're seeing a lot of harvested feed fed. And with that, there's really the importance of understanding the value of the energy in that feed. Walk through with us understanding what total digestible nutrients are and how we can use that information as we think about feeding cattle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we do a really good job of talking about protein in, in the cattle industry, especially when it comes to feeding cows. But then the next step and the next box we have to look at a lot of times is, is what does that energy component look like? And how do we find where that energy is coming from in our cattle diets? The best way when I work through a hay sample or or feed test results with anybody, you go to that feed test result and you look for what's what's labeled as TDN or total digestible nutrients. And it's really easy to interchange that with energy in cow diets. Now, that's not to say that it is It is a full picture of, of what's going on. Trust me, there's so much more science that even is above, you know, my head. But, you know, you start with that gross energy component of that feed stuff and then it breaks it down into whatever losses you have that uh, are more so for bodily function. But then ultimately, like what is left of that, that energy component is a function of TDN or total digestible nutrients and that's where our energy source is going to come from within our cows and so thinking about what a cow needs to survive protein and energy and then you know we can dive farther into minerals etc in another day but the bulk of that feed that we've really got to put in front of that cow a lot of times comes from the energy component and and that's why cows you know this is what gets down to the fact of why cows are so cool they can take that bulk and that forage and, and upcycle it into, into a form that we as humans can use. And, and it gets back to just the, the phenomenon of how cool ruminants can be. And, and and the situations you can put them into that makes them uh, advantageous where other industries might not thrive as well. And so thinking about how we translate that TDN value into what we're feeding cattle. So TDN typically comes through as a percent. You know, the majority of the feedstuffs, that, uh, the forage-based feedstuffs that I get to play with in my area In the article, I listed like your native prairie haze, your meadow hay, Sandhills range and Sandhills meadow. You know, those are always going to play in the ballpark of 48% to 62%, depending on the time of the year, right? Like there's ranges in those, obviously, depending on how mature plants are, how well things are put up or harvested. That all translates into that TDN value as well. But sticking between that 48 and 62%, that looks like the component that we can see that animal consume and utilize and not pass completely through them. That's what they're going to put into production. That's what they're going to use for lactation. That's what they're going to use for growth, reproduction. And then also in, on a calf side, what they're going to use for performance. And so ultimately, if you could summarize TDN in, in what, two minutes there, I guess that that would be the best way to take energy and and understand what TDN means for us and how we apply it when, when looking through cattle nutrition.
0: So let's just talk about that in terms of, you mentioned forage samples, you know, typically you would say the forage that you deal with is somewhere in that 48 to 62 TDN. And that doesn't initially, from my perspective, sound like a very big range. But if we think about hay that's 62 TDN or hay that's 48, that's a really big difference in terms of the impact to the animal in meeting their nutrient requirements.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's two things I want to touch on with what you brought up. So I want to touch on with having a high enough quality of feed to make sure that we're meeting requirements, but I also want to touch on what does that look like when we can sometimes maybe limit that intake because we do have a high nutrient dense product. So, so let's start with the first one of being concerned that, you know, it's maybe a lower quality forage and, and we see that TDN start to drop, let's say 50% or lower. What we're running into there is uh, the the interaction between protein and intake is is part of that. You know, with if you uh, here's a plug for Dr. Molinix. If you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to his protein podcast because he does a great job of explaining that at seven percent we see a huge drop off. You know, if you get below seven percent protein, a huge drop off in intakes, and it's just it starts to be that the quality that is related to that. So as your protein drops, typically your TDN drops, because your plants tend to be maybe a little bit more mature, you're not gonna be able to physically get enough gut fill in that animal for her to meet her requirements. So she can't have, her passage rate is more than 48 hours. And so she's not able to intake enough nutrients to meet her requirements. That's the first concern we have whenever you think about dropping below that 50% TDN or seeing those lower protein feed stuffs. But, you know, like this year, uh, as we've talked about in probably previous times, coming out of a drought, there's opportunity to see increased nutritive value in some of those forages. And so are we seeing a higher TDN opportunity than we might normally see in some of our forage products? So we're seeing hays that normally test at like 55% in my area right now that are coming in closer to like 58 or 59%, which to me is huge. And I realize that it doesn't seem like a big range, like you brought up that 12%, but Whenever you think about, um, let's use a 50% forage, for example. So that forage has a 50% TDN to meet a 1,400-pound spring calving cow's mid-gestation requirement. So that was a lot right there, right? I'm stepping back into mid-gestation. She requires 11.6 pounds of TDN. That's what it requires for just those three months. You have to give her 27 pounds of as-fed hay at 50% TDN. Okay, so let's switch that and let's go up to 60% TDM. That cow now only requires 22 pounds of hay per day. So now you've, you've dropped her intake to meet requirements by five pounds. Now, it doesn't, doesn't seem like a lot because, heck, that might be what you wash over the, the bail buster that day. But at the end of the day, if you start doing the math and pairing that with, you know, what's, what's hay price at? What's the cost to lay it in at my operation? And on a year where we're really short on forage, I think there's some opportunity for that economic value to really build up if you start looking at those qualities. But at the end of the day, you've got to understand what do you actually have? Do you know what your feed stuff tested at? And how can we make sure that we're feeding the right amounts based on what the nutrition quality is?
0: And I want to jump in just what you said there, knowing what you have. And, you know, I just we've talked about before we got on the importance of knowing the quality and how much variability there can be in quality. And I'm sure you've seen this as well, but I'll use alfalfa hay as an example. I have personally had some hay tests come in that were as low as 12 to 14% protein, low 50s TDN. Then I've also had some alfalfa come in that you know was pushing 60 TDN and 25, 26% crude protein. So really wide ranges. The other thing I often see is sometimes people will say, well, I need to feed more alfalfa if I'm going to get more energy to my cows. And oftentimes alfalfa hay will test, you know, low to mid fifties and still be very good quality uh, upper teens in terms of protein. So oftentimes we can meet a cow's protein requirements, but we actually may be short on energy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and like you mentioned, we were talking about before we hopped on here, especially during that time where we, we were in that late gestation, right? Well, then she drops a calf and we're in lactation real fast. And we just increased her requirements by 25 to 30%. And so that big requirement jump comes from that TDN as well. And, you know, if we're struggling, because because it is, I I come across the same thing of trying to pour uh, more alfalfa to them. But a lot of times that alfalfa quality that we're putting in front of our cows is going to be the same TDN value of some of our, our native hays or our meadow hays. And so where can we find some really higher quality TDN feedstuffs and you're gonna find them more in some of your grain products. And so I know that that's not always the the fancy answer because nobody wants to go buy feed, right? Whenever feed prices are the way they are. But but what are what is our true supplementation value? Making sure that we check that protein box, right? Okay, great, we've got that done. But what's our if our next step is truly we've got to find a way to put more energy in front of that animal? What are some feed stuffs we can consider? based on a dollar per pound of TDN delivered in front of that cow. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at, uh, Aaron, is that it's not always alfalfa and it's not always another forage. And I'm not saying forages aren't a good idea, but especially understanding what they test that or what are the other options that might not be a harvested forage.
0: Well, and then I think also we get into, are we looking at fiber-based energy sources or are we looking more at starch based energy sources? And, you know, in Nebraska, we, often have access to distiller's grains or distiller's co-products. This year, those are in really tight supply. But then there's also obviously the opportunity to use something like whole corn or something like that. Uh, You know, if we're using whole corn in a fiber-based diet, probably can get up two, three pounds of whole corn fed per head per day and not have an adverse impact to fiber digestion. So still get some good energy from that. So that could be an option. If you're in a range-based scenario, May not be a very good fit. Then you might need to look more at a a fiber based energy source like a distiller's cube, which again is high in protein but also high in energy. And that's one thing I often talk about with people. You know, a pound of distillers is often twice the protein and energy as a pound of alfalfa hay. And again, that's book that's book value. It gets us close. It's not uh, always that way, but that can help give some perspective as we think about pricing in an energy input.
1: Yeah, no, that's huge. That's a great way to put it. That's some of the better tractor math I've heard recently. Um, whenever you want to think about that, because it's easy, especially, you know, if you've got corn sitting in the bin, you know, that's an easy option. And I get that. And if that's what we need to work through, absolutely. We can make that work. But, but I do think if you're, you're really trying to source or buy something, looking at both those options is is going to be your best bet.
0: Well, Hannah, as we think about calving and we think about peak lactation anything else you want to highlight thinking about the importance of meeting that cow's energy requirements?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those cows right now are are going to, whenever they drop that cap, they're working as hard as we can ever expect them to work, right? You know, prior to the breeding season, they're trying to bounce back as fast as they can. Uh, quite frankly, they've had some cold spells this year that um, that they've handled well, but you can see the impact as you drive through the country. Uh, there's There's been some impacts on that. And so Making sure that we understand where our body condition score sits in our cows is going to be key, right? So how do we make sure that those cows are set up for success and how do we manage them going forward? Thinking about how we can make sure that we're providing some of the highest quality nutrition that they'll see post-calving that we're able to provide within resources, obviously. How can we make sure that we're putting some of our better quality forages in front of them post-calving? Keep that in mind and checking those boxes in the right order. Making sure you hit protein and then honestly, like you said, Aaron, once you get post calving, we've really got to make sure she's got that energy in front of her and that we're meeting that that box as well, because that's the easy one to short them on from time to time, especially when we're all really waiting out that opportunity to turn cattle out come spring. How do we make sure that we don't short her getting her to that grazing season so that we, we've we got them set up for success after a, a decently tough winter, um, especially at the her peak of performance and her highest nutrient requirements?
0: Hannah, thanks again for joining me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for
0: having me. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. At the website, we have a lot of different resources on this topic.